What is up, everybody? Thank you so much for tuning in, in to another episode of the Bonerds Podcast. Today's guest, absolutely killer man, just an absolute stud, um, Mr. Josh Smith, owner and founder of Montana Knife Company. AJ and I break into his world and completely nerd out on some incredible products that he's been able to create and the reason why they are the way that they are. Uh, and without, without ruining the rest of this podcast, like I, let's just get straight to it. It's a complete killer episode. Um, so we just appreciate all of you guys. We appreciate your support. Absolutely appreciate it. Um, so yeah, let's get right to it and get talking with the one and only Josh Smith. What's up everybody. AJ here at Brax on the studio to today. And we've got a special guest, Josh Smith of Montana knife company is here with us. Uh, Josh, uh, former lineman blade Smith extraordinaire and, uh, the founder of Montana knife company. So Josh, thanks for, for jumping on with us. Yeah, no problem. Thanks for having me. Yeah. So, uh, Josh, you guys have, uh, Montana knife company, big fan. Uh, you guys, I mean, you've been doing the, the podcast circuit here, so I know you've been making, making some rounds. Um, but just, uh, why don't you tell everybody like a little bit about, because you've been making your own custom knives for a long time, but like, what was some of the, the, what, what were some of the things that you really wanted to accomplish with Montana knife company specifically? Yeah, I'd been making knives for 30 years, basically 25 years um, as a custom knife maker. But uh, a lot of my stuff had been, you know, was really high end kind of custom art pieces. And I was getting a lot of requests from people to make hunting knives for them. But it was hard to to make kind of one knife at a time uh, at an affordable price range. Um, but when I looked around, I didn't see... When, like when I would go through stores, I'd look at their hunting knife selection and I just didn't personally see anything in there that I felt was really like a, a legit hunting knife made the way that a custom knife maker would make it for someone buying it a, in a store. Um, at, at a price point, it, it seemed like stuff was either just super, super cheap and not really well thought out or or then you went kind of to the custom end where it's eight or nine hundred or a thousand dollars for a custom knife. Um, so I felt like there was some room for room for improvement there. And uh, <clears throat> yeah, we, we started producing knives more in that like two to three hundred dollar range, three fifty, which I think, you know, it's not cheap for a knife, but it's also kind of attainable for anybody if, the, if they want a good knife. Yeah, and obviously they're popular. I was sitting across from you uh, during, I think it was the Magna Cut Speed Goat drop that you guys did, and I think you guys sold out in three or four minutes. Was, your, your phone was about to have an aneurysm from all the updates coming through. Um, and I think it's it's been like that for you guys ever since you started doing drops about, what is it, about a year, year and a half ago now? Yeah, it's been about a year and a half. We, uh, you know, we started in 2020, with the production business, but really, honestly, we were just barely getting going that year with some prototypes. Um, you know, basically January 1st of 2021, I had quit my full-time job. And, you know, even that first quarter of that year, we didn't have a lot of stuff available for drops. You know, we were just learning how to produce knives faster and, and then honestly procuring steel and stuff like that was a challenge. So yeah, about halfway through last year, we really kind of had hit our stride, and um, and then this year we've been a lot more uh, kind of on our game with with dropping knives more frequently. But it's it's been wild, and it's just been uh, it's been quite an honor. It's been uh, yeah, it's just been kind of a rocket ship. But it's it's uh, I'm honored by all the people. I mean, I get I get DMs and messages every single day of people using our knives, you know, right now it's like turkey season or bear season and fishing. And, uh, it just amazes me how many people are using our stuff and it seems like people are loving it. Yeah. I mean, yeah, you guys last... definitely have, oops, sorry. Go ahead, Brax. Oh, you're good. The last few drops you've had, I've, uh, always been late to the party. And so <laughs> I, uh, now have since turned on notifications on Instagram. So that way I know right away. Yeah. 
when uh when you guys drop because i mean even if you're 30 seconds after a post it's too late to check out <laughs> yeah and we're working on that i mean um you know we we've got more and more numbers of knives plus we've had several drops of some of these so you know i think our our stone or our super cub we just did was more like 30 minutes so it wasn't so bad or you know i didn't it's really hard to anticipate when you come out with a new model the demand and we'd come out with our little mini speed goat knife uh yeah and that thing went in like 45 seconds um but we're it's just I don't know if people really understand or, or believe it, but um, it's it's all kind of a shock to us. And it's also like, it, you know, these knives don't get produced overnight. So if you see a huge spike in demand for something you're doing today, it takes months to kind of implement and build that many knives to respond to that. You know, we, we are not stamping these out and it's not like it's a huge factory. So we just don't, turn the super machine up and crank more out next week. It takes time to kind of react to the market. Well, so. and, and I'll give you and, uh, and your partner, Brandon, who we're going to have to have Brandon on here one day, Brax, cause he's been absolutely killing just getting your guys's content and photos. And that's one of the things like, there, I mean, there, I think it goes to speak to also your reputation in the industry because there's a lot of knife makers and there's a lot of kind of on the cheap end of hunting knives, like a lot of cookie cutter stuff. But your guys' stuff definitely stands out both from, I mean, quality once you get it, but also just scrolling through social media. I mean, you guys have do such a good job of the content you're putting out there and just making it eye-catching. Uh, and, and Brandon's been just crushing that. Well, and thanks to people, we've got people like you too that are taking killer photos, so that doesn't hurt. Um, I jumped know. on much later, though. You guys were already selling out before uh, I got involved. Yeah, and and Brandon, Brandon does, uh, Brandon does. T you know, he's an incredible photographer for sure. Uh, he really knows what he's doing. He's an amazing marketing guy. Um, you know, so it helps to have a good product, uh, shoot 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 it well. Um, yeah, and you know, thing with our knives again, like the, uh, you know, they're simple. They're not. They're not super super fancy. Uh, I did that on purpose. I wasn't trying to like dazzle people with bells and whistles. Yeah, there's a Magna Cut Blackfoot right there. This is um, my favorite one. Yeah, that's awesome. I, yeah, yeah. It, you know, it, the thing is, is. Uh, so many companies out there were, were making like thicker edges, thicker blades, because they're worried about blades breaking. Um, and I just felt like, uh, you know, I'd have so many people come in my shop and say, I can't sharpen knives. I suck at sharpening, blah, blah, blah. Well, I, then they'd hand me the knife and it's like, well, you never really had a chance to sharpen that thing on a stone. It's the edge is thick. The steel is super, super hard. Um, and you've got this kind of this half-assed stone at home and you can't even hardly touch the thing and uh, I'd have to go to my belt grinder to fix it and I just felt like if we had uh, if we were making knives the way that we made our custom knives and a lot of custom knife makers are doing this where blades are heat treated correctly the edges are ground thin now you know you take that knife right there and you'd go try to pry something with the tip of it the tip's gonna snap off like I, we're not making knives that are indestructible um, that knife's made to cut, you know, it's made to cut and use in that way. Um, and it feels like some of these factory knives, they're worried about you breaking the tip off and being mad as a customer. So they make the blade so thick and heavy and, uh, th then it now doesn't cut well. And 90% of people that buy a knife, they actually do usually use those knives, especially if it's not a $20 knife. They're use they're being respectful of it and they're using it for what it's intended for. You know, yeah, and that's yeah. definitely a big difference. I think I think I was that guy that was afraid to like sharpen my knives because I was just going to take the edge off. But just using a flat stone and, and talking to you, like you're definitely able to just put a little bit bit more edge on there, just easily. And I suck at sharpening. Yeah, and if you like, I tell people to get on our YouTube, and we're going to be doing some more of this stuff. But get on our YouTube and watch how I teach someone you know, to sharpen a knife. And, uh, 
it, it really is relatively simple if you have maybe the right stone and definitely the right knife, you know. And then we also sharpen our knives for free for life. So if people, if people ship their knife in, we'll resharpen it and send it back. I, I had in one, one in yesterday. You could actually tell it had been kind of abused. I was able to get it kind of cleaned up, clean up the edge, and it went back to him like he bought it out of the box. And so, you know, it, you know, I don't expect people to want to send their knife in after every single time it gets dull. But, you know, I tell people, send them in in the summer before hunting season. Get them dialed in. And then unless you're, like, really using the hell out of that thing, there shouldn't be any reason that that knife doesn't make it through hunting season. Maybe a, a few touch-ups here and there. But you ought to be able to get through hunting season and uh, and then send it back to us and we'll totally dial it in again you know that's awesome i didn't know you guys sharpened it for life that's yeah that's my biggest problem that i have with knives i mean i i've always had just cheap ones you could buy at literally walmart and uh they they don't they do not work to to cut through an entire deer just quartering it up it's it's game over so it's more of a hacksaw at that point yeah and there's there's a lot of tech and say technology, I mean, just metallurgy, heat treating, and edge geometry, that's the part that, um, sorry, I'm kind of yawning this morning, uh, it's early out here in Montana, and I was up till midnight, uh, got a knife maker here that showed up, we're going to be doing some forging and hanging out, so I'm still, haven't had enough coffee, uh, that's the thing, I'll have customers ask me, you know, or, or I remember people saying stuff about a like a factory knife, like how hard is that? What Rockwell is that? And it's like, it's like saying with a bow, the only thing that matters is how many feet for, for feet per second does it shoot? Well, I don't care if it's shooting 500 feet per second. If it's, if it's not accurate and it's loud and it's inconsistent, um, you know, uh, and, or like with sharpening, if you can't pull it back, <laughs> If you can't resharpen it and it's now a butter knife, I don't care if it's made out of freaking Valyrian steel for, uh, you know, Game of Thrones. It doesn't matter if it's now dull and you can't maintain it. Um, and I, I did an Instagram video where I just kind of dulled off the edge on one of our knives. I did it live. And I took two or three swipes per side and the knife was shaving again. And people could see I did nothing special. Uh... You know, one thing that people do, you know, say with a knife like this, I go backwards on the, on the stone. So if this is your stone, I'm going backwards on the edge and then backwards that way instead of cutting into the stone. Um, there's a few things with that. Like if you're coming across that edge and you're doing this with your tip and you're coming across, people tend to round their tip off because they're, they're mm. swiping across the stone with their tip. If you start at that tip and you lay that thing in just right and go from there and come back, you'll keep a nice sharp tip. I, I, I'd have people bring in knives that they sharpen a bunch and they've got this little round bull nose of a tip. Um, but there's certain things that if they watch my YouTube, it's very simple. I try to keep it simple for a reason. Um, you should be able to resharpen your stuff, you know. Yeah, that's me for sure. And, and I think like, you know, you made the bow comparison and I think people don't realize this with knives too, is everything's a trade-off too, right? So you could, you might have that super strong, uh, stiff knife, but, and it might even be sharp, but it, a lot of times they're super heavy because they're so thick as well. Like that was one thing I noticed with your guys' knives is you definitely took weight savings into consideration. You can tell you guys are out of Montana and, uh, you know, every ounce counts because even your bigger knives are lighter. Yes, exactly. No, it's true. That's, uh, that's exactly right. I mean, if you're carrying a knife to the top of a mountain, let's face it, most of the time you're not using your knife. You're just packing it around. And so there's ounces there that matter, uh, that add up that if all your gear was a few ounces too heavy, now it's pounds. Um, so I, I, I believe in that. Um, and like with, with the hardness question, what people don't understand is they'll say, you know, I bought a knife that's 65 Rockwell. It's like, well, congratulations, you're, you're carrying around a piece of glass in your pack. Um, you know, with, with, a heat, with heat treating, it's kind of an inverse 
uh, proportion here. So if this knife is this hard, then it's then it the toughness level is down here. And people sometimes equate hardness and toughness as the same thing. Hardness is the ability, uh, you know, the harder it is, the less uh, easy it is for that steel to be worn away, which is your edge to be worn off and, and go dull, right? So if it's super, super hard, in theory, that that uh, whatever you're cutting against uh, will, will uh, you know, the abrasion on that will have less effect on the edge. The problem is, is now you have to make that, that same knife pretty thick because if you make it thin, it's really brittle. If you bring your hardness down, your toughness comes up. Now, if you go too far in the other direction, now your hardness is here. You have this soft knife, but the, it's unbreakable, right? It'll bend. Um, uh, you, 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 know, you can bend it back and forth and whatever, and it's not going to break, but it's soft, and, and it won't hold up to much abuse. The trick is to find the nice balance of that hardness and softness, and maybe it's, maybe it's somewhere in here, but those two scales shouldn't be completely out of whack. I'd rather that knife be somewhere in here and have the knife go dull on you after an elk or two, uh, but you be also, that hardness level be down in that range where you can hit it on a stone a few times and it's right back sharp. Instead, if it's up here, now you have a lot of work to do on your stone. And if it's up there and it's thin like ours, it's going to be super brittle and easy to break. You know, so... Um, yeah, it's it's all it's all a bunch of metallurgy and heat treating, but there really is actual kind of science behind what we're doing and why we're doing it. You know, well, our no listeners idea. like to nerd out on this stuff, so that's perfect. Yeah, that to understand and hear what actually goes into a knife blows my mind because, you know, for me, I'm just a complete dummy when it comes to metalwork and anything. So I'm thinking, slice a piece of metal into the shape of a knife, throw it on a grinder and sharpen one edge and you're good to go but clearly that's not the case no there's a lot to it and, and really honestly you know like our blades are heated to uh 1500 degrees and then they're quenched and they have to drop below 900 degrees in less than two seconds for that steel to harden um and then you have to put them in an, you have to put them uh in an oven at you know 400 degrees for for a couple hours and temper them down and then they go into liquid nitrogen at minus 320 degrees below zero um th there's a lot of science that goes behind a blade and if you're not paying close attention and your temperatures are off you know 50 degrees one way or the other uh you can say this knife is made out of the greatest steel ever but if you screw it up in the heat treat it doesn't matter you can make it out of a freaking mountain dew can um, it's going to be, you know, you're going to have the same results. So, uh, we, we take a lot of care in our, uh, heat treating process. The heat treater that does our heat treating, uh, has very high tech, very advanced equipment to make sure that if we make a thousand knives, they're all the same, you know? Yeah. How long does it, like, if you were to walk into your shop and build a speed goat from ground up, how long is that process? If I'm doing it as a custom knife maker, um, you know, I could build a speed go in a day, day and a half. It's, it's hard to say because the heat treating process does have like heating and cooling times and like the, uh, the tempering process in the oven is really about a four hour process. It's, you know, heated up to that 400 degree range, like 400 or 375 twice for two hours. So now you're and you're talking, you just lost four hours of your day sitting there staring at it in an oven. So, you know, it's, it's really actually more like two days. Um, uh, you know, so if you're, if you're making, um, uh, you know, one knife at a time like that, it takes a lot of time. You know, we're doing some things that cut down on that process where we're laser cutting out the steel. Um, you know, our MKC knives are not like hand forged um, hand ground. Uh, I, I grind samples and then our blade grinding machines, um, we match those hand ground samples to that blade grinding machine. And then it grinds every single blade is ground the exact same. And that just takes away the human element. You know, if I was hiring someone to sit here and grind, you know, 2000 speed goats, you're going to have the human element involved. And, 
you're going to get some people that are really unhappy because there's some inconsistency. Um, and like AJ said, our blades are super thin. So there's a fine line between thin and too thin, you know, or thin and not thin enough. Uh, so there's some processes we do that we're involving machines, but then in the end, they're hand, hand finished, hand sharpened and hand wrapped. All that's done by hand, um, you know, and inspected. So we have a nice combination of technology and some use of machines and then also literal handwork, you know. Yeah, it's kind of that happy medium between what what you can get away with with help and what you can't. Yeah, if I if I hand make that speed goat, it'd be hard for me to make a living and make that thing for less than like four hundred dollars, you know, four or five hundred dollars by the time you figure in time and materials. Um in your shop, if you're a custom knife maker and you're not charging at least $50 an hour, you're not making a decent living. Um, you know, I really figure it should be closer to $100 an hour because what, what custom knife makers don't think about, you know, they're like, oh, I'm charging 20 bucks an hour and then I figure a little materials into my knife. The problem is, is custom knife makers aren't thinking about um, retirement, healthcare, the cost of turning your lights on in your shop, you know, business insurance. There's like a lot of stuff that comes off your overhead that you don't think about. So if you're charging $100 an hour, um, by the time you, you figure all that stuff in, you're really lucky if you're making 30 or 40 bucks an hour. You know, so I say you got to be at least charging 50. Well, if that knife takes me even, even one 10 hour day, start to finish done, with a sheath, that's a $500 knife. And so that's kind of the point. I was doing that stuff and I just was figuring out like, I can't make a living making one hunting knife at a time. Um, and nobody really wants to pay five or $600 for a paracord wrapped blade, right? Um, you know, we're charging 225 and that's still not a cheap knife. I mean, that's still a fairly, someone's making somewhat of an investment in that. Um, but that kind of shows you why, why we're doing the MKC knives the way we are. Yeah, and it is, I mean, but there is something to like getting to kind of like a deeper component, like a nice, very utilitarian thing, but it's also a part of like that final memory of the hunt, right? Like there's, there's something special about having like a nice knife that you kind of pass to your buddy as you're skinning something out, right? Like for what, it's always part of that memory too. And having an, it having a, a cheap knife is always annoying like no one wants to be that guy that's like using a spoon to skin their deer when everyone else is like halfway through the other side so it's uh it's yeah there, there's just something like about it's one of those pieces of gear that yeah you're you're mostly just hiking it around but uh it's definitely it it for whatever reason it kind of like settles into your mind like what you had when you killed something you know what we're using to, to cut it up yeah when my i think about when my kids you know first killed their deer and and each year when they kill their deer it's kind of that moment like okay we've gotten up we've taken our pictures done everything now it's time to get to work and it's like it's a big moment for like a kid like okay we're gonna cut into this thing right and to have something that's really nice and sharp does does the job easily um and then you know to me that's that's the cool thing about having a knife like 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 ours or somebody else's that you don't actually throw away it's there you're you're stacking experiences on those knives and um you know i've 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 always been bothered by the idea of these throwaway replaceable knives the replaceable blade knives you know i i like to say when you walk into Target, Home Depot, Walmart, I don't care what your what store you're going into, a sporting goods store. When you look around, everything is made these days to throw away. Like we, you know, we used to make, you know, uh, your your grandparents' furniture was passed down, their dressers and their, you know, their cabinets and like all their stuff. Like uh, it just seemed like so many things back in the older days were definitely made to like pass on and reuse. And to me, knives, guns, jewelry, and artwork 
uh, it's really hard to think of anything else that you have that's going to get passed down. Um, and it really bothered me that we were taking one more thing that I've, I've personally seen hundreds of people come in my shop over the years to ask me to resharpen grandpa's old hunting knife or pocket knife that he carried forever. You know, he carried this pocket knife through the war and you know, this was his, this was his knife he carried in Vietnam, or this was the knife that he carried forever as a young man hunting. And now grandpa's dead and gone and they still have his knife that he carried. And there is something special about that. Um, and I think it's the same way for grandma's jewelry, you know, and, uh, and, and maybe some of the artwork that they had had or bought, but, uh, I don't know that I, I agree with you that it, that a knife is a part of your gear. I, I really don't think that down the road you're going to probably, I mean, you might pass on your binoculars. Uh, I've seen some of the old hunting gear and stuff, but you're not going to pass on your camo. You're going to use your camo up. You're going to use your packs up. You might give one of your older packs to your kid to use or whatever, but a lot of that gear they like to get new the new technology comes out and they want new gear and even with knives people are going to want to get new knives someday but they're not going to you know a lot of people aren't going to throw those things away uh it's you know it seems weird to us but in 50 years you're going to have a grandchild that's going to think it's pretty cool that he had your knife from back in the early 2000s you know when grandpa got this thing that's definitely true. I actually, I actually use my grandfather's binoculars. They're not crazy old, but they are about five times heavier than uh, the new stuff coming out. But and that's part of the cool. cool. That's part of the cool thing about passing things on is that you do see like, wow, this is what a pair of binoculars looked like back then. Like, this is I, I've you know the rifle scopes, for example. And that's what's part of what's cool about guns. It's like, man, this is the scope that they were using back in World War Two and that that time frame whether it was maybe in war or it was just hunting it's like man that thing's like barely better than the human eye like no wonder they shot iron sights <laughs> you know yeah there, i've got a knife my grandpa gave me it was the actually the day that he died he gave me this pocket knife when we were i was doing some yard work with him and it's like a super cheap like harbor freight just you know, nothing special at all, but I have that thing and I'll never get rid of it. One, cause I was the last person to, you know, be there with him and last thing that he ever gave anybody. And so, yeah, yeah the nostalgia of a knife or an object from somebody that's passed on is, is something special for sure. That's such a great point too. Like I tell people, it doesn't matter if it's the cheapest factory knife or you know, a custom knife your grandpa literally made. It, it doesn't matter uh, to the person who has it. It was the fact that it was it was their knife. You know, um, I've sharpened old buck knives and old timers and you know old charades and you name it. Uh, I've sharpened them for people, and it, the the brand and all that doesn't matter. Yeah, now, it, it is cool now and then when you'll see somebody come through with a knife that's actually also collectible. Um, but like to your point, it doesn't matter, uh, whose knife it was. It's the fact that it was his and he gave it to you, you know? Yeah. So Josh, speaking of knives now, so you guys have, I mean, your line is expanding all the time. Uh, they definitely got like a, a unique look. We talked about the weight and everything of what, you know, with, you guys are getting uh, a lot more supply in, and I think you said that the, the last run of Super Cubs lasted like 30 minutes. Actually, I, I had someone message me that they were able to get four of your knives on separate drops, and I think that guy's like a unicorn. I, I don't know what <laughs> internet provider that guy has, but uh, yeah, he's winning uh, for sure. But um, if somebody was like holding out, like let's say, uh, you know, we, we can go through kind of the scenarios, like you've got your Western Hunter, your Eastern Whitetail guy, you know, you know, if they were holding out, like I'm setting my calendar, you know, I, I need to make this drop. Like, uh, you know, what, what knife would you recommend for like that, that, that hardcore Western mountain hunter? And then also your, your, let's say your dedicated kind of tree stand guy on the East coast. Yeah. And I think that's a good point that it really actually, you know, I, I kind of very often, I just get the generic question of, 
what knife should I buy? What's the best knife that you guys make that I should buy, right, for my husband or for myself or whatever? And um, totally dependent on what you're doing. Um, I've, I've designed each knife for a reason. I don't just make them just to make them. There is something... There usually is at least a particular job or something that each knife does that they were kind of designed for, assuming that there's someone out there looking for a knife to do that job. Uh, I, I always tell people, I launched the company with our Blackfoot knife. That's that uh, Magna Cut one that you just had out there. The reason that I launched the knife or the company with that knife is I grew up in the Blackfoot River Valley here in Montana. Uh, we fished, we hunted deer. We hunted upland birds. Uh, we hunted, uh, you know, then bear and elk, moose. Um, and, you know, there's, you know, some varmint hunting or whatever, coyotes. It, pretty much everything that you can kind of think of we have other than, you know, you know uh, caribou or something like that or any African stuff. But we have really a general uh, range of animals we can hunt. And to me, that knife will, will kind of do it all. And the reason I also built that knife the way I did with the size I did is I don't actually really believe that you need a big, a big huge hunting knife. You really are carrying it a lot without using it. Um, and if the knife is heat treated right and has the right edge geometry, you don't need all that extra blade, in my opinion. And now again, if you're doing more bushcrafty stuff and chopping and whatnot, that's a whole different story. Uh... So what I like about that knife is it actually has a really good tip on it. So if you do shoot a, a mule deer 10 miles back at, in Colorado, uh, and you know, like an Aaron Snyder does the kind of hunting he does, you're going to cape that animal out. Well, if you've ever caped out around the horns and, and dealt with, you know, going, you know, around the eyes and into the tear duct and stuff like that, you need a tip of a knife. It's hard to get up underneath the base of those horns and really do a good job caping if and that that skin is super tight around those base of those horns. You got to get in there at the tip and just really work slow and go around that. Um, so you need a tip of a knife. Um, and there's a lot of other jobs where you kind of need a tip. But that that blade also has enough blade to it, enough belly. Uh, even if it's an elk, you can skin that whole elk uh, you can take the back straps out of it. You can debone that whole elk. Now, again, if you just had an elk hanging in your shop, is that the knife that I would give you to skin it? Probably not. You know, is that the knife I'd give you to you know to cut that elk up entirely? Probably not. Um, but if you're going to carry that knife for miles and miles and miles, and then not sure what you're going to encounter, you know, because next weekend you could literally be fly fishing and need a knife for trout and you know or pheasant hunting or grouse hunting or dove hunting right breasting out a duck so that knife will do it all um it's light you know which i like all that stuff uh now that being said if you're uh a deer hunter in a tree stand um or you're shooting some some you know some big game and the weight's not really a factor you're probably going to have your truck pretty close where you're going to maybe even be able to lead, load that deer hole or, or whatever. I think our stone wall is a great next step where the stone wall knife, uh, man, look at you. It's like a Montana knife company store. I that, didn't even plan this. Actually. I just, this is my room is a mess and this is the only wall that I could point the camera towards. It just happens to have all knives and guns on it. I love it. <laughs> I love it. We should be sponsoring you. Um, that, uh, but that knife has a lot more belly as you can see. And that blade's a little longer than the Blackfoot. It still has enough tip that you could, you could actually use that knife, but you can see the size difference there. It's pretty considerable. Um, uh, and there is enough tip on that stone wall to still cape out, though I would argue that it's be a little bit more of a pain in the ass with that big tip, but it's or that big belly there, but it's it's possible. Um, but that knife is a fantastic knife for skinning an elk, you know, or a moose or a brown bear or whatever. Um, our super cub knife, our big super cub, that's just a little bit bigger blade. Again, it can it can gut skin do whatever that's even a bigger longer blade than our uh our uh our stonewall um 
and you see more of the bushcrafty people, people that maybe want to chop a little bit of wood, uh, stuff like that. That's and some people do have they have big hands, bigger than my, I have what I consider kind of average sized hands. And I'll have people just like I don't want to hold on to that little blackfoot; it's too small. They want to grab something, a bigger blade, uh, and you can you can do heavier work with that knife. So um, and it's got that tang to it. Is that am I using the right terminology? A uh, guard. Right? guard yeah yep got a little bit of a guard so if you are chopping and to me that that should you should have that if it's a knife that you're going to be striking something if you go to strike something and your tip hangs up or hits on something and your hand all of a sudden kind of lunges forward on that handle you want to keep something to keep your hand off of the tip or off of the edge of that knife um you know and then obviously to the other to the other side of it we have our speed goat um, which is just a super light packing knife, paracord wrapped. Um, you can actually unwrap that handle and use that paracord to tie up an animal on your pack or to guy out your tent, uh, fix your boot lace, restring a boot lace in your boot if it breaks and you're hiking 10 miles in. Um, you know, that's really handy. And then we also have our, uh, our bear tooth knife. Um, man, you got them all. That's just a full-on, we, we, we developed that with Cole Kramer in Alaska for fleshing, for fleshing hides. Um, there's obviously not much tip. The tip is actually kind of up and out of the way, and that knife is designed to just have a lot of edge. Uh, there is enough tip there. If you had to do something with your tip, you could, but it's not what it's there for, really. Um, that, uh, this thing's actually crazy light for how big it is. I've actually been using this in Florida as kind of like a mini machete for hacking down palmettos and stuff when I when I need to clear a path. But yeah. I don't know. I don't think you designed it for that. But it's been working. No, but it's uh, it is. It's super light. Um, that blade's only what a hundred and ten thousandths or hundred thousandths thick. I mean, it's thin. Uh, that's yeah. thinner than our Stonewall and our Super Cub. Um, you know, it's flexible, but that was, uh, what Cole was doing is, is he'll set up a big long board, uh, with the hide kind of going down kind of between his legs down towards the floor. And they're taking big, long strokes down that board, pushing out. And like with this knife that has a, a real aggressive tip and not much belly, when you make that long stroke and you push out, now the tip is, is into your hide and you're, and you're cutting or catching in your hide with that tip where that knife that tip is still clear back here out of the way and this is all belly and you can just continue a full arm stroke uh down that hide and those that's you know that's for professional guys like cole who are uh trying to clean up hides before they get them tanned for the customer you know because he's a guide um that being said i've had a lot of people using that knife uh more i'd say regular people using that knife for like a lot of butchering and even in their kitchen. Um, and that being said, I, we, we are, uh, we are going to be coming out with chef's knives here soon. So yeah, Brandon's been, uh, I had a couple of pictures of your guys' chef knife from that event we were at in San Antonio and Brandon's like, hold on to those. Don't, <laughs> don't post those out yet. But yeah. Yeah. That, uh, yeah. And that makes so much sense what you're saying for Cole, because he's also dealing with, I mean, it seems like every year he's got a new record grizzly bear, so I'm sure you don't want to be poking holes in those hides. Yeah, poking holes in those things, and they're huge hides. So he's looking, you know, if he's doing six or eight of those, ten of those bears a year, it's just a lot of work, and he wants to make it happen as fast as he can. A lot of times he's dealing with that hide between clients. You know, they have a day or two off before the next client comes in, and you you know you can't screw around. He's got to get that work done, get that that hide salted, and then on to the next client. You know. Um, I, I've got a question. I actually drew a uh, a Utah bison tag for this year, and so uh, what what uh, what kind of knife am I going to need to chop up a big old buffalo? Yeah, that's awesome. Uh, I, I I think that stone wall is really great for that. Uh, you know, ideally, if you're butchering the thing, like I even think that 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 big bear tooth knife would be pretty sweet to have for like butchering and skinning that whole buffalo. Um, but if it's a somewhat of a pack in, hike in, a lot of work in the field type thing, I think that uh, 
you know, Beartooth can be a little big to have to pack around and carry. Even though it is light, like you could have that thing in your pack and it actually wouldn't really, you know, and you're probably not packing in for days when you're doing that. Um, but uh, at least the bison hunts around here, you're really not. But, um, you know, a little bigger knife like that Stonewall, I think is a great one for that. That's yeah. pretty cool. You got, uh, is, is that going to be a hunt that you actually like pack in and camp or is it kind of f from your truck every day? <laughs> Um, I'm actually going to stay in a little motel because it's going to be dead middle of January and temperatures are going to be below zero every day, most likely. So yeah. it's going to be a cold one, but yeah, it's archery and, uh, it's, yeah, it's, I shouldn't have drawn. I only had four points, so I'm sure I'm going to upset a lot of people that I got a tag, but you know, where, and, it'll be, uh, where, where, where do you actually, where do you live now? Where are you located? I'm in uh, northern Utah, so uh, just south of Salt Lake. Oh, okay, so you're right there. Um, no, that's awesome, dude. Uh, that's a lot of meat. That'll yeah. be that'll be pretty rad, and it's a, it's a bull tag. Yeah, it's a it's an archer's choice, so cow or bull. But clearly, going for a bull probably pass up on all the cows unless it's the last evening. But yeah, it's yeah, I, I'm. I'm so excited for it it should be a ton of fun everybody I've, I've messaged people that had the tag last year the last few years and they said it's the hardest hunt that they've ever done and in my head i'm thinking oh you know what it's like yellowstone just drive up find a big old buffalo sitting on the side of the road in a field and shoot it but no these guys are sitting at a um the guide was saying about ten thousand to eleven thousand feet during the winter the bulls just kind of split off and go high for some reason that's wild. Uh, it's, it's interesting. So I was told by a guy I had envisioned kind of the same thing. Um, you drive through Yellowstone and there's Buffalo standing next to the road and a guy yeah. drew a, a bison tag here in Montana last year. And he said far and away the hardest hunt he's ever done. Um, he was kind of miles in and then he shot this bison and that's a lot of meat to pack out. And same thing, like you said, it was a, it was like a January tag. It was super cold. Um, the body of the Buffalo had basically frozen by the time they came back in the next day to get meat out. And so now you're dealing with totally stiff, frozen meat. He said it was a bat. It was just a bitch. Yeah. Hike a uh, chainsaw. One thing I'm, I'm not looking forward to is the the cold, but luckily we do have access because I, I am hiring a guy. Just I want to make sure I get the best opportunity, uh, but he's got horses, so I'll have access to some horses in case we get it down in a bad hole. And that's what my buddy had said. He's like, if we'd have had horses, it would have been a game changer. So that'll be, uh, yeah, having horses will be probably save your life. <laughs> yeah. For sure, no doubt. The guy last year, he drew he drew the same tag. Um, he shot one opening evening for the hunt, and it, he said it took him five days to pack that bison out because it was just way out of the middle of nowhere in this steep country. The unit that it's on, <clears throat> it's the uh, Henry Mountains, and I've always you know seen kind of rolling hills and stuff with bison but these guys are like mountain goats just straight up on these cliffs so that's been rolling through my head like all the gear what i'm gonna need for uh bison so knife is number one on the list because that'd be an awful experience trying to cut it up with some walmart cheap knife <laughs> yeah yeah for sure no no doubt man um yeah and i think that's a case where it's like smart to have a even our super cub, you know, that bigger blade super cub or, or, a or a stone wall, you know, it's just a lot of animal, it's just a lot of cutting. Um, yeah. you know, so that'd be pretty rad. I can't wait to see pictures of that. Yeah. It should, be, it should I'll, be fun. I'll send you one to use. Yeah. <laughs> if I can't, if I can't make a drop, I'll, I'll call AJ. He's got them all. <laughs> yeah. I'll come take our, pictures uh, too. <laughs> Our little retail store down there. You can also, looks like you can also get an AR with a knife back there. So. Yeah. Listen, I got into a bunch of hobbies over, uh, I, a couple years ago I said I wasn't a knife guy. This year I'm declaring I'm not a gun guy. So it seems like I acquire whatever I'm, I'm not right now. So Yeah. <laughs> good problems to have. Yeah, good problems.
should Josh you mentioned the because uh, I can start going down a rabbit hole of, of hunting ideas because Brax got my my brain going now. But um, you mentioned the chef's knife. Is there anything else you got? You can give us a little teaser on what you guys got kind of cooking up in the in the shop. Um, yeah, and a lot of this stuff will be more for fall. Uh, we have some things going right now, um, kind of more along that bushcrafty line, uh, bigger, a bigger blade even than our super cub. Uh, I don't really have one sitting around here. Uh, we also have these coming, which yes. are pretty rad. A little nice little hatchet. Uh, it's kind of a prototype. Um, and then uh, we have kind of a variation of the uh, speed goat, maybe maybe a speed goat and a stone wall had a baby. Um, so uh, some of that, um, some stuff with some other companies and some other people, um, potentially a really big name in the uh, bow hunting world that you probably recognize. Um, so um, maybe uh, rhymes with. Han Fudley. <laughs> I was gonna say, is, is there a lot of green involved? In, yeah, it could in be a, could be some <laughs> could be some green involved in that. Uh, we got stuff going there with him. So, uh, um, yeah, and a couple other couple other uh, another you know pretty good sized brand you'd recognize. We did a knife for them, be kind of more available through their site. Um, uh, so yeah, there's there's definitely and then the chef's knife stuff and fillet a uh, fillet. Uh, oh, cool. Um, so we're actually that knife maker that's here right now, uh, Mareko Malmasi is his name. He's a chef's knife maker and he's actually the one that, um, helped design our chef's knives. Uh, he's, you know, I, I'm not, I'm going to be the first one to admit, like, just cause I'm a knife maker. Uh, you know, it's kind of like if you're a pistol guy, right. And you're a world champion pistol shooter, it doesn't mean you know how to shoot long range sniper rifles. Right. So. Just because I'm a knife maker doesn't mean I know everything about every knife design. Um, that whole cooking world and chef's knife world is its own special thing. And there's a lot that goes into that about, you know, the how and why of a design of a knife. Uh, so Mareko helped design all that. And so he's here this week to help kind of shoot some content around all these new knives. So uh, we, are, we are actually getting really close to uh, having some of those launched. So... That's really exciting. Um, and even the pictures Brandon showed you, there's some things that have changed that make a very stark change. If you're a, if you're a guy shooting pictures of them, it's going to be, uh, I think they're, they're going to be rad to shoot. So I'm pretty excited about those. Yeah, it's cool. And one thing I didn't realize is how collaborative and small the, the custom knife industry was and like how, how tight you guys all are and, and supportive. It was cool to see that at, at Winter Strong, it seemed like we had like some of the, all the best knife makers under literally the same tent forging uh, both nights. But it, I, yeah. I saw you guys did that collaboration with Half Face Blades recently, and um, been doing some other stuff. It, it's super cool to see that. Yeah, and that's I, I was raised by knife makers, and uh, you know we all, I guess, are somewhat competitors. But you also know. Uh, uh, you know, there's, I, I see people and they'll have 10 different knives from 10 different knife makers. Um, I don't really think it's, it's not like you're hunting camo. You're probably not mixing your Sika with your Kuyu and, you know, uh, it's pro you probably are generally wearing kind of one brand of camo and that's it. You, you got these kind of, you're a Ford or a Chevy guy and that's it. Um, where with knives, I think you're really collecting the knives, but also the makers, and there's different styles, and you can really like, I think guns are very similar to that, obviously, there, there's lots of different styles of guns, and you can buy different manufacturers, um, and it's hard to pick your favorite, because you love kind of everything you got, and you have them for different reasons, and they accomplish different tasks, you know, so, uh, you know, there's the custom side of knife making, I really hope that when people are getting our MKC knives, yeah, they're maybe they're pretty and they think they look cool, but I really hope that people are buying those to use. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of other knives out there that I think people are buying uh, a lot like my customs. People are buying the maker. They're buying kind of the collectible side of it, the looks, 
um, to pass down and all that. But what I take pride in with the Montana Knife Company knives is I really feel like people are buying those. Like, I'm, I've got all these other knives, but I'm, bu I'm buying this knife to use. And that's, that's I take pride in that. Um, I've had people, like, tell me about some of our MKC knives. Like, yeah, man, sorry, it's kind of all beat up, and it's used, and it's rusty, and got blood all over it, and I, I should probably take better care of it. And I'm like, no, man, that's freaking awesome. Like, that... You know, now if I made you a $5,000 knife and then I showed up next next year and it was just all like bloody and rusted up, I mean, I'd, it, in a way it'd be kind of cool that you that you used it. But I also be like, damn, I put a lot of time hand sanding that thing and you just <laughs> kind of abused it, you know, uh, didn't care for it. Um, more, It's more of a piece of artwork, um, you know, so I, I, I do think that it's cool that way. But yeah, I, I'm friends with a ton of knife makers. Even the knife factories that are out there, like we're never, I'm ne you're never going to hear me talk shit about a particular company. Um, you know, I'm going to try and tell people why I think they should buy our stuff, but I'm not going to really get into the why you shouldn't buy somebody else's. For Unless sure. they're just total douchebags that I might. <laughs> There's, every industry's got those. <laughs> Couple. Yeah. Well, Josh, I know that uh, I think you guys are hitting the road for a couple of events this summer, and that's one of the other cool things is, you know, you guys are, are very accessible and uh, super fun to talk to. I think uh, Isaac Alleman Sr. actually introduced us uh, for the first time at TAC, I want to say, maybe last summer. But uh, are you going to be hitting up? I think Brandon said he's going to be at the Pennsylvania Total Archery Challenge. Are you going to be at any other events this summer and people can come say hi and check out some knives? Yeah, Brandon will just be hanging out at that one. We won't really have a booth, but, you know, he'll be around. Um, uh, that's kind of a home game from him. He was uh, he was uh, born and raised in Pennsylvania, so he's excited to go to that. I would love to go to that, but I don't remember. Uh, oh, my sister decided to get married that weekend. so I'm And she asked me to officiate her wedding, so I'm going to be priest or rabbi or I don't know what you call it, but... Uh, I don't know what I'm gonna, what <laughs> I'm gonna wear do. Just everything. Do the, the the collar with the yarmulke. Just think, just yeah, cover all that's, the bases. Yeah, I'll just cover all of them. Yep. So, uh, I'm we're doing that here in Montana. But yeah, we will actually have a booth at uh, Big Sky Tack in Park City. Um, I think we'll be at the. You know, it's kind of an invite only deal, but there'll be maybe some people listening to this, the uh, the Eberly Stock out there event. Um, I'll be there too. I'll see you guys there. Oh yeah. Okay. Perfect. Awesome. Um, yeah, that'll be fun. Uh, that'll be a fun event. Uh, yeah, those are really the two events that I can think of. Uh, yeah, I went down to the Texas tack, um, shot, uh, went down to the, the, the adaptive athlete deal at black rifles ranch. Um, and then went and shot at the Texas tack. I did, again, we didn't have a booth, just kind of went to hang out. Um, you know, I will say it's pretty freaking rad when you're walking around like a Texas tack and then there's just random people walking by with like one of our speed goats on their pack, um, you know, or wearing our hat or our shirt. I got to say that's, uh, still very weird for me. Um, I don't know if it's still weird for Evan Hafer to see black rifle stuff randomly, but I definitely, for me, it's, it's weird, but also weird in a obviously in a good way. Um, it's, it's it's amazing. You know, it's really cool that people are doing that. So, um, to those people that have our stuff and are kind of rocking it and wearing it out at an event like that, you know, sa same thing with our knives, you know, when people, you spoke to it earlier, but when you, you shoot an animal and you get ready to harvest it out, it's awesome how many people are taking the time to take a picture of their animal with our knife on and then send that to us. Like they're really truly including us in the hunt and, like that that shows that like it's not like they were just taking pictures and there happened to be a knife there as they're using it like they're legitimately like sharing that experience with us and it makes me kind of feel like i'm partially there and uh that's very much appreciated like i have a deep appreciation for all the people that are buying our stuff and using it and and you know wearing it so well, I think your dedication to American. Yeah. Oh, sorry, AJ. 
No, no, no. I, I was just uh, I yeah, like I'm I, lagging a little bit. <laughs> I, we all are. I think it's it's early. So <laughs> I'm a little under the weather too. But I, I think your guys' dedication to American manufacturing, even trying to you know get as much apparel and everything made over here as you can, I think people really it resonates with people, especially everything we've been experiencing over the last two three years now. And uh, you know, I, I think people appreciate that too. Is I, you know, you guys are, are one of the companies leading the charge, making stuff and making quality stuff here in America. And I think that whole, hopefully it's a change in our culture that that whole disposable mindset is, is shifting somewhat because, uh, you know, maybe that's one of the positives to come out of all these supply shortages is we get a little less wasteful. Yeah, I like to kind of say if, even if you think our knife is twice as expensive as the knife you would have bought at Cabela's, um, if you use it five times as long, I would think you're really way ahead in the end and you have something to pass down. The fact that you can send our knife into us and have us sharpen it and take care of it for you. Uh, the fact that we've had several people for various reasons, you know, probably, probably four or five people do something I would maybe say out of the scope or somewhat stupid with their knife and crack one or break a tip or whatever like the fact that we just send them a new knife like no questions asked you know we just replace it and people are kind of blown away by that because i think they've gotten so used to having shitty customer service mm -hmm. and not being able to email a company and get a response like we try to respond within a within a day um and i really do hope that as we grow we can keep that keep that up because I think that matters to people you know and that whole American made uh, and and really like knowing your makers knowing who is making your stuff um, I think it's similar in the kind of the movement of kind of growing your own food or at the very least kind of knowing who grew your food um, if it's at a farmer's market that you're buying it or you're you're buying your beef from a local rancher like man Go buy your beef from a local rancher. Go try to source your chickens or your, your pork from someone that you actually know. Maybe it's a third degree of separation between you and actually knowing that person, but it's a friend of a friend. Like, Especially out west, most people are one phone call away uh, to knowing someone that knows a rancher. And, you know... That helps that rancher because he can now sell you some beef and, and it's not going through a packing house and he's getting, you know, dinged on the price of his meat of the animal he grew. Like, and, you, and it's good for you because it was literally maybe grown in the value you live in versus going to a, you know, Walmart and buying steaks and like, who knows what it, where that meat's coming from or if it's even coming from the U.S., you know. So I agree. It feels like there's a there's kind of a shift in society, especially with the supply chain issues and people just being tired of shitty quality. Yeah. You touch on the customer service part. And for me as a consumer, that's probably the number one most important thing. And like, I feel like that's what makes so many more customers more loyal to that company because you're loyal to them. So like, for instance, Vortex, they're as, easy as it gets to get a new pair of binos when you chuck them off a cliff and completely snap them in half. I've, I've used their VIP warranty thing twice. So I've just, it, it makes me not take care of my binos and spotting scopes as good as I probably should, but I know I have the insurance of, Hey, they'll clean it up for me or you know, if it breaks, they'll fix it or whatever. Yeah. And I'll always buy that because of that insurance that i have or the you know the customer service no questions asked about that at all so as a consumer i appreciate companies that that focus in on that sure sure <clears throat> just like our titled sponsor dialed archery and their new arxos site <laughs> there we go brian we got our plug in <laughs> good job working that in yeah yeah right at the end just for the loyal fans <laughs> yeah well, Josh, we've been on here for for an hour. I know you're a busy guy, and uh, I'm sure you want to get back to, to making some content and, and forging some knives. And I'm excited for those chef's knives and everything else. That hatchet that you guys have coming out, um, 
I, I might have borrowed that prototype for a couple of photos at uh, Winter Strong, so Brandon was keeping a, a careful eye on me. But yeah, uh, but that's that's super exciting. It's kind of funny actually when that was there. I had that thing stored back in a box or something, and all of a sudden it was gone. It was gone for a while, and I could not <laughs> find that thing. <clears throat> and then uh, come to find out, I think Brandon stole it and gave it to you or something. But uh, I thought somebody had taken it home. <laughs> I'm surprised it's not sitting on AJ's wall back there. Yeah, it will be I eventually. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, Josh, well, where uh, can... Sorry, go ahead, no. Brax. You, you oh, that. I've been talking wrap, a lot. Same, same thing on uh, where we can have everybody find you, Josh, on uh, Montana Knife or any personal stuff and where, uh, where they're going to see the latest drops and be able to find you on your website. Yeah, kind of the modern-day business card these days. Obviously, is Instagram, it feels like... Uh, you know, at Montana Knife Company and my personal page at Josh Smith Knives. Um, you'll see a little more of my personal life stuff on there and, um, you know, whatever stupid stuff I'm doing. Um, Brandon keeps the Montana Knife Company probably a little more professional. Uh, and then, uh, you know, obviously we have our website, MontanaKnifeCompany.com. So um, we have Facebook and all that stuff. So pretty, pretty easy to find us. So, yeah, look us up. Um, we're pretty good about engaging with people, uh, messaging back and forth. So, um, yeah, we really do. It's, you know, it's gotten harder. The more people we get, it's harder to engage with everyone in a lot of dialogue, but, uh, we definitely try our best to engage with people. And I, 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 I think it's important to have that personal connection with companies. So, um, yeah, look us up. I appreciate you guys having me on. Yeah, Thanks, we appreciate Josh. you waking up early and getting on. Yeah. Normally, I'm, I'm always up usually this time of morning. It's just I'm usually not up so damn late. But, you know, it's like when you have <laughs> friends come to town. So, yeah. Well, thanks, Josh. And uh, thanks, everybody, for listening. Go check out Montana Knife Company and Josh Smith Knives. And uh, we'll catch you guys next time. Thanks, guys.